Okay, Philippians 2, 17 and 18. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And our purpose is to seek how a Christian can discover the life of fullness and abundance that we see promised and demonstrated in the Bible. Paul, as an apostle, is not only an example to us, uh, how he lived and what he did, those sorts of things, uh, but he's also a teacher to us. He's speaking God's inspired words through his writings, and so his admonitions and exhortations, his commandments here in these uh, words that we're reading, they come directly from heaven, and, and we should recognize and apply them that way. Throughout the first two chapters so far, uh, Paul's been very instructive on how we can live the Christian life practically and personally. And now we're going to get to a couple of verses that deal with some of the more difficult aspects of our faith, specifically denying self and receiving suffering. And so beginning in verse 17, we read this. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. This epistle is uh, really great for cleaning house in our hearts. Uh, hopefully we felt that work of the Spirit over the course of this study as we evaluate our spiritual lives um, and search for pride, as we evaluate our unity within the church, as we think about our witness to the people God has placed around us. Those examinations are, are encouraging because despite the fact that we are imperfect and despite the fact that we have to deal with a old sin nature in our lives still, God is present to accomplish great things in and through us. That's what we've seen so far in this book. God has purposed to do something in our lives that is wonderful and powerful and godly. And so, as Paul says, hey, look for the following uh, pitfalls. We also see coupled along with that the very clear message that God is with us and intends to do wonderful and powerful and godly things in our lives. And so, this morning here we get a couple of fresh reminders. Number one, life is not all about you. It's not all about me. And number two, suffering is going to be a part of your walk with the Lord if you're living the Christian life. And so, first, tackling our bent towards self-centeredness, Paul points out that God's work is not exclusively about you. Verse 17, Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul knew that the Lord was working in his life, but he also knew that God was in the business of using his life for others. And so despite what has developed in some areas of American pop Christianity, the entirety of God's will is not simply that you and I feel happy and good about ourselves. And um, that's an important thing to remember. We don't find that teaching in God's word, even though we perhaps find that teaching in different churches in our nation. We generally are a culture that is concerned with upward mobility. Uh, we're concerned with bitter, bigger and better, materially speaking. The Christian life is about spiritual upward mobility, uh, but not in the sense that our material wealth should always increase or that our comfort will always increase or that the ease of our life would always increase. The only upward mobility that we are worried about is our entrance into heaven. It's about being elevated above the cares and concerns of this world and following Jesus Christ. And it's also about building up others rather than ourselves. That's what we've seen in this epistle. And those values that we're seeing 
uh, in the Christian life, they are contradictory to what we desire in our natural hearts and what we're trained to do, uh, especially uh, here in the West. Christian life in eternity is about rest and perfection, but Christian life on the earth is about denying self, following Jesus, and serving others. And part of that plan will include God using your life to accomplish His will for the sake of the church or for the sake of the lost people around you. It's not just about what is going to make you or me feel better or feel you know, good on some human level. Our God does ask us to be humbled. He does ask us to forgive those who offend or harm us. He asks us to sacrifice our lives in a variety of ways so that other people can be brought nearer to him and so that he can be glorified. God asks us to do that. And so if you analyze what Paul is saying here and sort of boiling it, uh, boil it down, he's pointing out that perhaps God is allowing him to actually be executed for his own glory and for the benefit of the church at large. And um, that's kind of an interesting thing. We kind of, I think I kind of look at that and I take it for granted. Oh yeah, you know, the apostles, all, they were all martyred and, you know, that, what a great testimony that is. But Paul's saying, you know, God's allowing me to be imprisoned and he's going to allow me to be executed for the benefit of the church. And when we take that principle and apply it perhaps to our own lives, um, I think it has a very uh, profound impact, at least on my thinking. This isn't the first time in the scriptures that we see a situation like this where God uses his people uh, to a very serious degree um, to benefit others. Joseph was delivered by God into slavery, imprisonment, and exile so that God could demonstrate his sovereignty, he could demonstrate his love, and so that he could deliver his people from a famine decades later. Uh, It's an interesting thing. The crippled man who was laid daily at the temple gate called Beautiful was again and again passed by Jesus while he was on the earth, not healed. You know, if you look at the different timelines, it doesn't explicitly say, but Jesus regularly went, you know, and and, uh, went into the temple and did things. This guy, for his entire life, it said he was daily laid at the temple gate called Beautiful. And so it is logical and understandable to note that Jesus walked by this guy many, many times during his ministry on the earth. And he did not heal him. And why didn't he do so? Well, he, he was not healed so that later in Acts chapter 3, the apostles could work a miracle in his life, glorifying God and giving a great proof of God's power in the church that had just been born. And so, you know, again, we look at that and we think how great, you know, that the Lord did this work, you know, uh, kind of giving authority and power to the apostles and proof of the power of God in the new church that had just been born. But if you apply that principle to your own life and say, well, you know, God allowed this crippled man to stay crippled so that he could glorify himself and benefit others. Paul looked at his circumstances and he rejoiced in the fact that God was using him as a tool to accomplish his will. He was rejoicing that God uh, uh, used the sacrifice of his life to glorify himself and to embolden and mature the church. You know, that's a big part of the message that Paul gave to the Philippians. You know, they were really concerned about him. Hey, you're in prison. We're worried about you. And he keeps saying to them, I don't want you to worry about me. I don't want you to, you know, be disappointed about this. I want us to be full of joy. I want you to rejoice. I'm glad that God is using my life to embolden other people to preach the gospel. 
God's will to use you and to bring people into repentance is more important than your comfort. It's more important than your wealth. And it's more important than what you think would make your life more enjoyable. It's more important than my uh, comfort and my enjoyment and my wealth. It's more important than those things. Because the universe doesn't revolve around you. The universe doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around Jesus Christ, who is uh, uh, God and King, and who asked his disciples to deny themselves. He asked his disciples to place others above themselves. He asked his disciples to sacrifice their entire lives to his service so that they might receive what is better and fuller and more heavenly in life. You know, so it's not just that God takes his disciples and say, okay, well, I need to use you as a tool, and so I'm going to take everything away from you and glorify myself and not give you anything back. No, obviously we understand that. The Lord replaces our desires and, and uh, he replaces what is natural with the things that are supernatural and the things that will give real lasting satisfaction in our lives. But God does ask us to sacrifice. He asks us to uh, receive his uh, power by emptying ourselves of earthly things. In our flesh, we don't really want to rejoice in this plan. We don't get super excited about the fact that God calls us to self-denial, uh, not in the flesh anyway, because we're self-centered people. The sin nature tries to convince us that we really would rather have worldly things than spiritual things. You know, naturally speaking, um, apart from God, we want to edify ourselves. We want to glorify ourselves, not others. And so that's a struggle within us as believers. Even as Christians, we don't always like it when great and awesome things happen to other people. In fact, you know, we have huge stores of jealousy and covetousness in our hearts that well up sometimes when someone else is recognized or someone else is blessed or someone else is used in a dramatic way for God. And Paul says, you know, I, I don't, that's not a part of the Christian life. We need to get, take care of that. Because Paul understood the satisfaction that comes not from things and not from recognition, but comes from a person. Uh, he understood that real satisfaction, real contentment comes from Jesus Christ. And that's what we're after, isn't it? I mean, we're after satisfaction and meaning and fullness in life. And Paul is saying, okay, look, if you want this, I can show you how to be content. Paul was content to be anywhere. And um, that was because of his relationship with God. He was content in any situation because he knew that he was with Jesus. And that really, in the grand scheme of things, in just a few moments, he would be face-to-face with Jesus Christ in eternity. And so Paul discovered real contentment and real satisfaction, real purpose in life by offering the whole of himself to the Lord. And this is why he kept saying throughout you know, this letter so far, hey, stop thinking about yourself. Stop trying to outdo other people. Stop dividing and demanding your own opinion in the church and just dive into Jesus. That's the answer to these questions that we're looking for. And that's the answer to this you know, longing on our hearts. That's where we're going to find real fruitfulness and and real fulfillment. And so we're called to rejoice when God uses uh, other people for his glory, not be jealous of them. And I'm you know, preaching to myself there. When we see you know, someone else in the ministry and the Lord's doing something really cool with them, um, in our natural hearts we have a tendency to be jealous of that and we have a tendency to be resentful of that. But we're called to see that, man, the Lord is doing some incredible work. And he's doing it over there, he's doing it over here, he's doing it all over the world. Um, you know, a few verses ago in this book, Paul even said, hey, I rejoice that Christ is preached by the people who are doing it out of spite for me. 
you know, the Philippians again were like, hey, these people over here, they hate you and they're preaching because they want to show the world that they're, you know, cooler than you, they're better than you. And he says, yeah, I rejoice because Christ is preached. What do I care what their opinion is of me? Jealousy is a really dangerous thing in our lives and it's an attribute that the natural man has within. We're all born with that. When we see someone else being blessed by God, when we see someone else being recognized for ministry, when we see someone else being used, we need to root out the jealousy within and be excited for them. Because God's desire is that we labor together, each of us serving as part of his body with specific tasks and specific purposes. He desires that we each bear fruit in our season. And he accomplishes the whole of his will here on the earth. Uh, when we are jealous, when we are self-centered, then we start thinking that the Christian life is about us being as physically happy or materially blessed as we want, or having as prominent of a ministry as we want, or having as easy of a ministry as we want. That's what happens when we get self-centered. And that is contradictory to the message of the Bible, which explains that sometimes God sends his people into suffering in order to glorify himself and benefit other people. And that brings us to our second issue, that believers need to expect and endure and receive suffering that is brought into their lives. Verse 18, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. In this text, Paul reminds us that we are drink offerings, he said in verse 17, poured out before the Lord. Uh, quick background, the drink offering was a symbol of voluntary surrender to God. It was an act of willing submission and acceptance of God's control over your life. It was poured on top of the burnt offering. Burnt offering was an animal slain and given to God on behalf of sins. And so it's a symbol to us of what Jesus Christ has done as our great sin offering once and for all, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then following in like manner, we can pour ourselves out as the drink offering to be consumed by God on top of that burnt offering. We're not to hold back portions of ourselves or hordes of ourselves we're not to be self-centered, but we're called to be drink offerings, emptied out before God in worship for his pleasure and just consumed by his power. Uh, when we surrender our lives to God, we need to expect suffering. And uh, this is a reminder that I think we need all the time. The world is a fallen place. It is at enmity with Christ. It hates Christians. Our adversary, the devil, seeks to destroy God's people. Men love darkness rather than light, and so it is natural and it is to be expected that a person who is devoted to God and who is walking with the Lord is going to experience all kinds of blowback here on the earth. Here's what James said, James 5, 10, and 11. My brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them as blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once wrote this, Mark then, Christian, Jesus does not suffer so as to exclude your suffering. He bears a cross not that you may escape it, but that you may endure it. Christ exempts you from sin, but not from sorrow. Remember that and expect to suffer. C.S. Lewis said, We were promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We were even told, Blessed are they that mourn. And so uh, it's an interesting reminder. Now, we are not very accustomed to suffering compared to much of history in most places in the world today. We are culturally conditioned to try to avoid suffering and to escape it when we find it. 
Paul, like the beaten apostles in Acts chapter 5, reveals here the joy of suffering when it comes to the Christian life. Because remember back in verse uh, 29 of chapter 1 of his letter, he said, For to you, speaking to Christians, it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And so God uses our suffering to spread his power on the earth. He uses our living sacrifice to accomplish his will in the lives of others. Being on an altar is never a comfortable place for an animal, and it's, spiritually speaking, not going to be a comfortable place for us either as living sacrifices. When we try to escape suffering, then we're kicking against the direction of the Lord. We're being self-centered and not God-centered or other-centered. Now, when we try to avoid suffering, we also invariably end up compromising. Think of Esther and Mordecai. Their desire to avoid suffering as God's people almost led to the slaughter of many, many, many of, of, of their fellow uh, Jews, their, their fellow uh, children of the Lord. Think of Elijah there. He wanted to avoid the hardship presented by Queen Jezebel, and, he, and it made him focus on only himself. And he got into this little selfish tantrum, and he yelled at the Lord. And, and because of that, he put himself up for early retirement. You know, he, he got self-centered, and he wanted to avoid the difficulty that he was presented. And the Lord said, okay, well, you know, I love you, but you're done. You're done. We're going we're gonna to move on and give somebody else uh, your calling. Maybe God's greatest prophet in some senses, Elijah, but he shortened his usefulness because he didn't want to suffer and he didn't trust God's will to carry him through that hardship. And so we look at this text, we look at the Bible, and we find that we are called to sacrificial living. If we're not willing to pour ourselves out before the Lord, if we're not willing to surrender ourselves to him, if we're not willing to surrender our futures to him, then we need to do some serious business with God. Because our calling is this, to follow Jesus with a cross on our shoulders. That's the deal. That is where Jesus saved us, and that is where he uses us. And if we want what God is offering, then we must remove self from the center. We need to offer our lives as a continual sacrifice to pour ourselves out upon uh, the work that Jesus has done. And we need to offer, and we need to rejoice, rather, in the ways that God uses us and uses others to bring light and love into the world. Amen?